Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, y'all. Double G here for Fight Game Media. We're getting our free episode uh, in this free feed from our Patreon early because I just finished recording it. It is a recap of Canelo versus Jermel Charlo uh, with Carlos Toro, who, if you remember, used to do a boxing show on this network with Robert Silva. Uh, Carlos is still following the business very closely, even if he's not currently writing as he once did. But we're putting this show up. Uh, we usually get it up Monday. We'll put, we're ha- we want this up on Sunday just so people who were interested in that fight have something to listen to. And as a reminder, all of our content now is behind the paywall, patreon.com front slash fight game media. If you like what you hear, uh, my goal is to do more of these uh, sort of big pay-per-view boxing post shows since we don't have a weekly boxing show anymore. But uh, that is my goal. And, Hopefully, if you are a boxing fan, that is uh, some good content that you might be interested in. And if you are an MMA fan as well, well, we do have a weekly MMA show called In the Clinch with Paul Fontaine and Ryan Frederick. You'll see both of their names during uh, UFC broadcasts, by the way, when they show all the tweets. Paul and Ryan are on there a lot. And, uh, of course, we have tons of pro wrestling content on the Patreon as well. If you are a fan of pro wrestling, you will probably find something you enjoy with all of our shows. So let's kick it off to the interview or the show that I just did with Carlos Toro talking about Charlo versus Canelo. the double g show carlos toro has joined me we're going to recap the fight that just happened canelo alvarez and jermel charlo carlos and i did a predictions piece uh, that i believe it went up yesterday morning we brought back robert silva as well so we got the band back together at least on the on the preview piece and robert actually predicted the upset here now i imagine this was not the Jermel Charlo that he was expecting to see. But you and I pretty much had it right. You had the decision. I thought that Canelo might be able to stop him late just from the, the body attack, which and, and there was a body attack tonight. But uh, yeah, I mean, pretty like for for a ho-hum decision, uh, I didn't feel necessarily let down. And it was pretty clear early on that whatever the uh, the speed advantage that Charlo was going to have, he kind of just threw that strategy out the door and was just like, I just got to make sure I don't get hit with big shots here. Uh, what was your thought on his strategy based on what you thought he was going to try to do? 
So the idea that Charlo was gonna go start to fight, bounce away, try to make this into a slugfest, I mean, that was probably never gonna happen. That's not really Charlo's forte. He comes out uh, a little slow at fights, and he ends them very, very strong. But ultimately, I think what just happened is Charlo was coming into this fight 16 months uh, removed from his last fight at 154 pounds, and then suddenly you go up 14 pounds against a guy who's been establishing himself as the premier 168-pounder in the world for the last several years. And then uh, just to have a, a slow start like that, and, Can- and Canelo, credit to him, I mean, round one was, I mean, both guys just landed just one punch. But, yeah. <laughs> but round two, I don't think Charlo even expected the Canelo to go firing firing off big shots at, at the same time charlo was kind of shooting himself in the foot several times and throughout the fight even in that second round when he just allowed Char- canelo to just move him around and just trap him in, uh, up against the ropes and you know charlo's the taller guy he's the was had the longer reach he should have been the one dictating the pace of the fight and yet he didn't do that not even once uh throughout all the 12 rounds tonight why do you think that was the case. Is it just one of those things where on paper you think you're going to be able to do something and then when you actually get into the ring and you see Canelo kind of getting in that crouch, kind of going up and down, gliding, sliding, then you go, uh-oh, my my strategy is not what I thought it was going to be because now I have to really fight uh, super defensively. Now, it's funny because they showed – um Sugar Ray Leonard at the at the fight before the main event started. And in my mind, I thought, I would love to hear how Sugar Ray would game plan fighting Canelo Alvarez. He historically made his money off of figuring out strategies or and Emmanuel Stewart as well. Mm. Uh, but but figuring out uh not Emmanuel Stewart, um what was what was Leonard's trainer that I'm I'm, I'm blanking on his trainer. This, this would have been Ro- Roberts. Uh, yeah, this is Roberts stuff. You weren't even born yet. You you were not even close to being born yet. Oh no! By the way, my dad um, was barely born. <laughs> but I was just like wondering, like I, I wish someone would have asked him, you know, because it obviously the strategy piece to this fight is really how it's funny. We'll we'll use Oscar De La Hoya's uh, terminology here when he said that Canelo had the blueprint to beat uh, Mayweather. What is the blueprint to beat Canelo? I mean, we've seen him in close fights, uh, several with Golovkin. Obviously, he lost the fight to Bevel, but you cannot game plan what Bevel did because he was just bigger and stronger and the better boxer. If you if you were that, then you know that's your strategy. But I just feel like. You know, when you get in there and you feel that size and you feel that power and maybe he's a little bit quicker and maybe he his feints are a little bit different than you thought, it just becomes a different ball game. Yeah, and and just as you mentioned, I mean, to, for, to be Canelo, you obviously – well, you don't necessarily have to be bigger or longer if Floyd Mayweather pro- proved that. But this version of, of Canelo, I mean – Bivol kind of had the blueprint, but the problem is part of that blueprint is be Dimitri Bivol, and there's no one on the planet that is that. He, I mean, you know, physically, Charlo could have used his his physical tools a little bit better, 
but he's not the kind of boxer that would be able to uh, keep Canelo off rhythm for 12 rounds. And that's really what it boiled down to. Charlo was, is a great counterpuncher, but he's certainly not a better counterpuncher than Canelo, in my opinion. Yeah. Canelo is a better body puncher than Charlo. Canelo can start a fight much quicker than Jermel Charlo. And you combine all of that with, you know, with, again, 14 pounds. I think, I do think, I legitimately think, I think the the jump in weight classes really really uh, affected him and how he was able to translate that power because a lot a lot of people don't realize in boxing i mean ufc and mma in general the weight classes they're like very spread out it's like a 10 15 pounds but yeah. in boxing you fine-tune your body for that specific number to the point where anything that deviates from that norm it's just it, it just it's wreaks it wreaks havoc on mm. on your abilities. I remember talking. I remember talking to Mikey Garcia at, before he fought Errol Spence. I remember him telling me that it took him like two months just to be able to get his body from one thirty five to one forty seven. And the thing is, that power doesn't always translate. If you don't work specifically to get that power to translate from one fifty four to one sixty eight, as well as your speed, then a guy like Canelo, even though technically Canelo was shorter, he was a guy that was pretty well built already for that weight class, and he's fought, he's fought Triple G three times already. He he knows what to expect from from a heavy hitter, mm-hmm. and the only way to beat Canelo at this stage is to be just an otherworldly exceptional boxer who can utilize his jab from the start of the fight to the end of the fight to keep Canelo out of rhythm and charlo's just isn't that yeah did you see terrence crawford's uh tweet about the fight oh i i did not but i bet you he i bet he had opinions <laughs> uh his opinion was basically that uh that that charlo did not uh did not fight the fight Here, here's here, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll read it uh at twin charlo you went out sad, didn't even try to win. All you did was try to survive. You should be ashamed of yourself. Now, maybe Crawford saw something in that fight and was like, huh, I think I, I, think I can probably beat this guy. So let's uh, create some interest here. But do you think, because you said the, the, the weight thing, now you would think that, oh, because this is exactly what Charlo said, I don't have to cut that much weight to to this fight my body should feel pretty good but if you ask me he looked sluggish instead of sharp now I, that could go back to what you said with the, with the long layoff but physically i thought he was going to be moving around i thought he was going to be playing a lot of cat and mouse i thought he was going to make canelo expend a lot of energy to run after him because we know Canelo likes to load up on punches. And if you're running away or you're moving, Canelo's not going to have the time to really load up. And by being so stationary, after that first round especially, he just could not move enough. It just allowed Canelo to load up. That, that's what he was doing. He was actually, now, Canelo did, did throw a good amount of jabs, but he was actually throwing a power shot to set up another power shot. Usually it was like a left hook to the body and then over the you know uh, overhand right or uh, or 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 a right hook, 
And I was just like, man, you know, Charlo, you are a much better boxer to allow this guy to not even necessarily have to use his jab to throw his right hand. And so not that I necessarily agree with Crawford. I, I, you know, I, I, I can't even make a statement like that, not having been in the ring, but it was surprising to me that he just did not utilize all of his skill sets. And some of the reasons why we may have answered it already, but did, what, what did you think about that? Ultimately, I think that what Charlo didn't count on was Canelo closing the distance so early and to do it without really using the jab. If, if you look at those first early rounds, Canelo wasn't throwing a whole lot. He was he those heavy shots were when distance was already close and he closed that distance just by his footwork. Yeah, he was the you know Canelo was mainly in the center of the ring and Charlo was the one constantly moving. But Canelo's a smart enough fighter to not have to chase Charlo. He could just be able to cut the ring off with just his feet. And I don't think Charlo really had much of a game plan for that because. Charlie Canelo with having the amazing skill set that he has being able to attack the body with the frame that he carries. It's just something that it was almost like Charlo was hoping that he could kind of catch Canelo on an off night and maybe kind of goad him into doing some amateur mistakes, which at this stage of the game, that's not really a sound game plan to to rely on, to hope that Canelo makes a mistake from the from the beginning, and to also just not do anything in the first few rounds. It was, it, we, we were you and I were chatting about it on, on the Fight Game Media Discord. It was, it was baffling that Charlo, seeing as how the first, I think Canelo threw one punch in that entire first uh, half of the first round, and for. Charlo to not take advantage of that. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean that that's not really an issue of going up against Canelo. I mean, if you're not taking advantage of that against any fighter, you're you're bound to uh lose that round. Yeah, the the thing that just I was just so gobsmacked. But at the same time, Charlo is also a slow starter, uh, according to you know what what people think about how his fights go. I mean, you said mm-hmm. it, he he's a he's a strong closer. But knowing that Canelo says, I mean, he 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 goes out and says, you know, yeah, first two rounds, I'm measuring stuff. I, you know, I, if I lose those rounds, so be it, because I'm just kind of downloading information. And Charlo, knowing that, knowing that he's the faster man, I would have just gone out there and just won those two rounds and and made sure of it because hey those are two free rounds let's get let's get those underneath my belt and maybe i can get some sort of rhythm here and he similarly seemed like he was just okay throwing those first two rounds out and not worrying too much about them uh let's talk about the the knockdown so it was in the seventh round uh canelo throws a overhand right it connects and Charlo doesn't go down. It hurts him. You could tell that it hurts him. Canelo follows up with an uppercut, which kind of it lands, but it wasn't as big of a shot as the right hand. And Charlo maybe seeing possibility of, of uh, getting knocked out takes a knee. Like it was almost like a defensive thing to go, okay, he's going to kill me 
with this next shot. So I'm just going to go down. So, so he can't. And that was the only knockdown of the fight. There were some other shots that I thought Charlo took very well. He, he got buckled a, a couple times, but stood up strong. Um, you know, there, there were other moments where I was like, man, this guy's taking some shots here, but he's not, he's not going down. He he's taking these pretty well. Uh, what did you think of the knockdown? And then just the rest of the opportunities that Canelo had to try and finish him. It, it reminded me a lot of some of the stuff he did against Sergey Kovalev, where Canelo was just slowly breaking down Kovalev, and then it just erupted into that decisive blow that just yeah. kind of ended things. And you know, in you know other instances like Callum Smith, where I mean, it didn't end with a knockdown, but Canelo was systematically breaking down Callum Smith, targeting the arm so they couldn't throw a punch. And then with Charlo. It was it was kind of moving down all the way up where you start trying to pressure him on the inside and you work your way up into attacking the head and just sort of smothering him. And that's kind of what it, what it felt like. Like Charlo looked like he was being smothered uh, when he got hurt. And you're right. I think it was a defensive call to try to take the knee because, I mean, there was a legit chance that Charlo would have been stopped or knocked out if he hadn't taken the knee. But but at that point, with what Charlo was doing, or rather was not doing in those six and a half rounds prior, it, to me, smelled like this is pretty much it. Unless Charlo pull, could pull off a miracle, I, th- I thought, you know, th- this fight's over. Yeah, the... the I, I think he bounced back really well in the next round because I think what Canelo expected, uh, and and I wish uh, uh, you're not going to ask Canelo this question in a, in a fight that he absolutely dominated, but it seemed like Canelo thought, okay, this guy is barbecue chicken. I am about to put this guy out. And so he kind of just comes in. He's, you know, he's not, he's not really caring too much about defense and Charlo hit him with a couple shots. And then Canelo, I feel, backed off a little bit and was like, okay, I actually do have to box this round. I can't just come out for the kill. This guy's a little bit better suited than I thought he would be after, after that, that last round. So I commend Charlo for (laughs) that, but really again, it was, it was survival, right? It was making sure that he just didn't go out. And maybe that's more what, what Crawford meant was you're, you're just, you just want to make sure you don't get knocked down. You weren't really trying to win the fight. And then in, in, I think it was right before round 11, uh, Derek James was basically saying the same thing, right? Like, yeah. what, what, you know, do you, do you really want to win this fight? Because if so, you have to come out a lot harder <laughs> than what you did. And the look never changed on Charlo's face. It was a look of kind of a look of concern and maybe a little bit of a mask of like, eh, nothing's bothering me. But you never saw that like fieriness. You never mm-hmm. saw that like, gosh, I, I, I'm close. Like I'm, I'm close to figuring this thing out. It was like a survival kind of kind of face for the end of the fight for the whole rest of the fight. Yeah, and 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 I hate to keep harking on this, but I think it really does bear repeating. Canel uh, Charlo just looked so out of rhythm. I think because of the long layoff. Yeah, I mean, you go from fighting Brian Castaño and having, I think, in my opinion, the best performance of Charles' career when he knocked out Brian Castaño last year. To then just not fight for the rest of the year, and and I and not only that, having injuries during that layoff that 
it postponed the fight against Tim Zhu, and then to go jump two weight classes against the the top guy in that division, it was sort of a I don't want to say like this was like a, a fight for him to get back into rhythm, but it felt like can, Charlo just wasn't his usual self in the ring, both physically and mentally. I'm not saying he was he was mentally weak or mentally compromised, but it, it didn't seem like he was honed in as he usually is for these fights. And, you know, for, for a while, Charlo was a guy that kept himself uh, regularly busy and he doesn't usually take these long layoffs. So I think that's this, all this was foreign territory for him. And he just didn't quite know how to fully process it. Yeah. This is the kind of fight where, uh, I forget Daniel Cormier uh, taught you, you mentioned UFC earlier. So it kind of reminded me Daniel Cormier won a fight and Brock Lesnar was ringside and Brock Lesnar came in the ring. And I think he like double hand shoved Cormier uh, and, and they were clearly like trying to set something up, but nothing ever, ever happened. Brock Lesnar was still in, in WWE at this point. But Daniel Cormier made a made a reference to like, yeah, you know, when you fight Brock Lesnar, like it's like extra presence or something under the Christmas tree. It was something like that. I forget, I forget exactly what he said, but that's essentially what it is for guys going up to Canelo to, uh, to face Canelo. Now, Jermel actually was substituting for his brother who hasn't fought. He had some, you know, some mental health stuff going on and it looks like he's ready to come back. I saw that that he had, he had made a tweet about, you know, being ready to come back. But for Jermel, taking this fight is almost a no-brainer mm-hmm. because of the amount of money that he could make taking the fight. And so when you get to this level of guys like a Mayweather, like a Canelo before that, a De La Hoya, sometimes the... Now, De La Hoya really didn't have a lot of these because... There was so much competition for him at, at 147 back in the day. He didn't have, you know, he didn't just beat everybody and then there's like nobody. And so it's like, oh, yeah, you know, why don't you come up or why don't you come up or why don't you come up? Pacquiao and Mayweather come up and wait a little bit at the end there uh, to face De La Hoya. But in this instance, it's kind of like Canelo's ran out of guys. And so you're trying to figure out who you can match make you know, in between certain weights and, you know, maybe you can come up and, you know, now, you know, they're talking Bud Crawford, uh, who, and that's uh, quite a jump in weight and Canelo would have to cut a lot of weight. So I I just wonder, you know, how much of this was, you sort of have to take the fight if it's offered, if you're Jermel, Jermel Charlo, if he had a year and a half, two years, two and a half years to kind of gradually come up into the weight class, like you would want someone to grow in the weight class, that fight might not be there anymore. So you can't really criticize him for taking it. But at the same time, you're sort of selling a fight that in the end is maybe not as competitive as, as you would think on paper. Yeah. And what in the other aspect is, you know, Charlo is still a world champion, 154 pounds. The only the only negative consequence for him taking this fight, aside from the loss, is that the WBO stripped him of the belt because that was the that was their ruling. Like, okay, you can fight Canelo, but if the moment you step into that ring, Jamin Lennon Jr. 
call uh, said uh, called you up and introduced you as the undisputed champion. You're no longer WBO champion. Uh, although it was really funny because uh, it, just a bit of a sidebar, I made a tweet when the WBO made that ruling, and and I read the specific wording of the ruling, and I said Jimmy Lennon Jr. and PBC had the chance to do the funniest thing ever, <laughs> where. Jimmy Lynn Jr. could just never introduce PBC, Showtime, <laughs> Jimmy Lynn, never acknowledge Charlo, not even once. And by the letter of the law of that ruling, Charlo would still technically keep his belt <laughs> because the ruling said he had to step into the ring and be introduced as the WBO champion. Oh, wow. So, I mean, but as I think, I mean, he's still a champion at with the WBA, IBF, WBC, and there's still big fights for him. Um, going back down to 154 pounds, but the thing that I worry about Charla, it was never so much him going up in weight. Though you and I have seen this, uh, seen this uh, song and dance before. It's the the issue is when guys have to go back down. Yes, we have seen this time and time again. Hell, it doesn't mean not even the first time a Canelo opponent jumped to weight classes for a fight and then go back down. We saw that with Amir Khan. Amir Khan, oh, yeah. after he got knocked out by Canelo Alvarez, never looked the same. No, it was not nowhere near the fighter that he once was, where he was a unified champion, 140. Um, one of the most famous examples, Roy Jones Jr., went up to heavyweight, won a belt there, and then was just a shell of a former self the moment he moved back down to 175. Now, granted, that was a significantly more drastic jump and probably the most extreme example in terms of like pure numbers as far as weight. But I think the comparison is still applicable to a certain extent because Charlo is a big guy at 154 pounds. And now you're telling me you're going to just going to easily drop those 14 pounds and be the exact same fighter uh, that you were before you made the jump to fighting Canelo Alvarez that's it's a little hard to say it's a little hard to believe because while you while Charlo may may honestly believe he can do it his body could tell him a completely different story and would have no control over that the only two fighters I can think of in recent memory who've been able to pull that off are Nonisa Donaire and Amanda Serrano and those are the only two examples I can think of in the last couple of decades that can make the jump two weight classes and then after they're done with their business there they go back down two weight classes and they're just as elite as they were before you know my favorite version of somebody having to go up in weight and then coming back down and, and struggling uh, uh, to to fight at the at the lower weight again this wasn't even a real fight antonio tarver asked to gain a ton of weight to portray a heavyweight boxer oh. in Rocky Balboa. <laughs> and then I think the next fight, so I think I think he beats Roy, and then he films the movie, and then he fights B-Hop, and he loses to B-Hop. And, uh, and then he, he would win a couple more times, and then he would lose twice to, to Chad Dawson. Uh, I, I think a, a similar example, I think, was um, Jose Benavides Jr., um, who was in Creed Three, uh -huh. and he, and Benavides was for the longest time a uh, 147 pounder, 154 pounder. I think he's now he's now campaigning at 160. Now, uh, at least says that's what I'm. That's what we're hearing for the great friends. He may be in line for a potentially 
big big fight coming up. But um, he was uh, 147, 154, and then you they portrayed him. I think he I think it was either light heavyweight or cruiserweight. I'm like, okay, I know this guy is tall, but <laughs> this guy's a string bean. If you... he was, and he was very small in that film too. He yeah, looked he was. small. <laughs> Which, which that's is funny. A great, that's which, a great example. Which is funny because, like, I'm also like thinking back as I actually watched uh, Creed three again not too long ago. Like, Creed did not look like any different at all. Making the jump from uh, well, from light heavyweight to a full on heavyweight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and and the, you know the the whole uh, the, the timeline of that movie is is really way off too. Like, none of the timeline makes sense in Creed three though. None of the timeline in Rocky makes sense either. In Rocky Four, his kid is like eight years old, and then the next day he comes off the plane, and the kid's like fourteen. Like what? <laughs> How did this happen? Um, all right, so a couple more things about this fight, and then and then I want to ask you questions about kind of about who's next. Um, did you see in both of in, in in the piece we all talked about Canelo's prime? He is now thirty three. Mm-hmm. He is, I, I don't know if you'd consider him a young or an old 33. He's fought a lot of fights in his career, very active, especially when he was uh, a kid, essentially. And now at 33, uh, he's carrying a, a lot of, a lot of muscle. Um, he's, you know, he's still throwing the hell out of all of his punches. Did you see any degradation in his skills or performance tonight? No uh, skills, I would say no. I think maybe the power is starting to go out uh, out of the way just a tiny bit. Um, but I think I, I I think I really am starting to believe Canelo when he kept talking about how the left hand, like being now one hundred percent healthy. You know, I'm not, not saying like oh that that was the reason he lost to Bivol. No, I, Bivol was a better boxer, and that's why Canelo yes. lost. But. But I think health-wise, Canelo looked good. I think he looked sharp. I don't think he looked at any point like he would, like he felt like he needed to rush to make anything happen. So I think that right now, I think right now, I think Canelo, to answer your question, I think Canelo is an old 33, but one that hasn't, but one that is can still go on for a few more years because he hasn't really taken much punishment. Mm-hmm. Um you know, guy's never been knocked down before. Uh, Bivol didn't really hurt him uh, when they fought. Uh, Golovkin really got his shots, a lot of good shots in it throughout the course of their three fights, but Canelo was never, like, truly hurt to the point where you feared that Canelo was going to get stopped. And then you put, put all the different fights in between. You don't really have a lot of tough fights so I say he's old in the sense of experience because he's been fighting close to two decades as a professional. I think he, I think his pro debut was I think when he was fifteen, so net like eighteen years or something. But he's still, he's still he's one of the age ways. He's one of those fighters who can theoretically fight at an elite level for several more years. Um, you know, I think to me it's starting to become a question of how long does Canelo want to keep fighting because. There really isn't that many opponents out there for there to be a, a big event. Right, right. As far as Charlo is concerned, uh, obviously we just talked about the weight uh, and him you know, going back to, to cutting that weight. 
do you think a fight like this where it is a, a step up in size and power and the way that he you know defended emotionally mentally just the fact that he got waxed in this fight do you think it affects him going back down and and being the top guy you know the the the, at 154 or one of the top guys at 154 like like does it change anything for him or can he just step right back in and and be totally fine i think mentally i think charles is going to be fine because if you just look at it if you just look at how he was talking and his demeanor after the fight i think it to me it screamed to me that Charlo knew he was coming into this fight playing with house money, yes. you know, and and overall in the back of the mind of his mind, he probably thought like I'm getting a big payday. I mean, if I'm not getting hurt seriously, and I just lose because he was a better boxer that night, then whatever. Because I still hold three world titles at 154. Yes, I was playing with house money. Not many people expected me to win with good reason. So I think mentally he'll be fine, especially when he's. I think mentally he feels that he still has the edge over everyone else at 154 pounds. Physically, I mean, that could be a different story, seeing how his body will react. But the good news, right, technically for him is that he's going to have time. He's going to have time. He's not going to be in any rush to fight uh, to defend his status of 154 because the one organization that put a hard deadline, they already stripped him of the title. So there's no need to worry about that. And, you know, you're dealing and he's going to have to wait until the winner of Tim Sue versus Brian Mendoza. And I fully believe that's going to be an absolute war. And I think that's going to be a, an incredible fight, but one that will leave the winner who wants to fight Charlo next, uh, probably needing a little bit of extra time to recover. And so Charlo, and, and again, Charlo was never hurt. I mean, sure, he got, I mean, he got wobbled, he got knocked down, but it's not like he was, he, he was bruised. He not like he was dealing with a ton of cuts it's, yeah, well, we'll see how those body shots may have. That's true. That's him, true. You know, probably like t- tonight and tomorrow and, and later this week, because he was getting hit to the body with some hard stuff, but he just, I mean, he just took it well, which is, was part of, I'm sure part of the thing with the way that he displayed his face was like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can take this stuff. Uh, you know, I, I would like to see more urgency in giving it back, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, th- th- you're, you're right though. You, you know, Probably no worry about head injuries, no eye injuries, no cuts. Um, you know, he'll I'm sure he'll be pretty sore. I mean, I I didn't sense that he hurt his hands in the fight or anything. So yeah, I mean he physically he should get out of this fight pretty decently. Yeah, and all and I think Charlo is going to come into the new year, I think, feeling fresh uh physically. Cause I think it's gonna take you know. When, whenever the Sue Mendoza fight uh, winner will feel ready, I mean, they're probably going to take their sweet time in uh, in getting themselves ready, uh, both Charlo and the winner of that fight. And, and you know, that's we're, it's not even a full, a, a complete guarantee that Charlo versus uh, the winner of that fight is actually going to happen. I mean, t- technically speaking, there is actually less of an incentive for Charlo to to uh, fight 
uh, fight whoever comes out on top immediately. So Charlo's going to be probably dealing with other mandatories. Uh, I mean, I don't... Erickson Lubin on the undercard won a title eliminator. If I mean, no one wants to see a third fight between the two of them because Charles already just decimated Lubin twice already. Uh, the IBF mandatory. I wouldn't say he's someone that that Charlo is is afraid of or really concerned about. So I think Charlo might take care of a mandatory or two before he jumps into fighting what I believe the number two fighter at 154, which is uh, winner of Tim Sue versus Brian Mendoza. As far as Canelo's next fight, um, there is talk of uh, David Benavidez. There is talk of Jermall Charlo, though after this fight, I'm not sure the storyline is necessarily there. It's gonna end. Up, I, I think it's actually gonna end up being more lopsided this time yeah. around. I mean, yeah. you, you, I mean, everything. I mean, Charles dealing, uh, Jamal is dealing with his personal issues. Combine that with an even longer layoff because he hasn't fought since June of 2021. Right. So, right. I think it's. I think it's gonna be the exact same fight, if not uh, easier for Canelo, in my opinion. And then there's always talk about Terrence Crawford, especially after Terrence Crawford took care of business against uh, Errol Spence. Uh, who do you see as possibilities of fights for Canelo Alvarez in 2024? Hmm. To me, obviously, uh, to me, the fight to make is David Benavides. I think this has been a fight that has been brewing for a while. And I think there is no better stage to hold that fight than Cinco de Mayo in 2024. Uh, I think it's going to be, and I think it'll be a massive, massive, like all Mexican war or not war, but a big, a humongous event akin to when Canelo Fajulo Cesar Chavez Jr. Even though that ended up being the biggest of squash matches, it was a massive, massive fight. Yeah. But it's tough. I mean, David Benavides, poss- possibly. I know some people may throw Dark Horse, Demetrius, Andre. I don't believe it because Canelo has absolutely no respect for Demetrius Andre whatsoever. I think Canelo views Andre as an absolute joke of a fighter who's not even worth <laughs> his time. David Morrell's interesting. Uh, he's gaining so much steam right now. I don't think he's quite ready for Canelo Alvarez. Uh, but then the problem is now we're kind of entered this like, well, that's it. This is kind of the list. To me, I think you strike while the iron is hot and you bring and you fight David, David Benavides. And if Canelo comes out on top, you know, then there's still other options. David Morrell will have another year of seasoning under his belt. So you can fight him next September uh, 2024. But... Uh, the the list keeps getting smaller and smaller. And Canelo, I mean, I think he's gonna. Uh, I think its next fight is gonna be for a PBC fighter. So you can't even, you can't even throw out the random matchroom fighter now. Uh, which even then, I mean, there's uh, maybe matchroom or slash golden, but the, the the fighters under the the zone banner, the top two guys, quote unquote, it's um, Edgar Berlanga and Jaime Munguia. And I, that's not going to be, that's not going to be attractive enough. Uh, I, I mean, if you want to, uh, 
get a knockout if you, if you want Canelo to mop the floor with a, a young fighter who uh, he probably could could knock out that Mungia would be one, but that would be that would be great for his his earnings and 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 really bad for his career, I think, at this point. <laughs> yeah, uh, but and it's funny because Jaime Mungia has been a guy that I thought could possibly be in line for a Canelo fight, and then his just his career the last few years has been completely stagnant. Yeah, like his move to 160 for a guy who had as much success as much hype coming out of 154. I mean, I don't, I can't remember how the last time a young fighter's uh, momentum was fumbled this badly, like we're seeing with uh, Jaime Munguet. But yeah, I mean, there, there were guys that maybe a couple of years ago you could have thought, yeah, maybe they could fight Canelo, and then for some re- one reason or another, it's just now no longer something that makes a lot of sense to to fight and benavides is the one that makes the most sense morale you can talk yourself into saying it could make sense but after seeing what he did to jermel jermal doesn't really make much sense terence crawford i mean doesn't makes even less sense i mean canelo just just trounced the guy who is the top dog at 154 what do you think is going to happen when it's the top guy at 147 was already kind of undersized almost at 147 already yeah yeah that that is one that just on the scale it doesn't make sense but at the same time i could sort of see why uh obviously why crawford would would want it mm-hmm. but um it it's it, it, it's it just sort of makes a joke out of weight classes right like mm-hmm. Uh, the, just the difference in, and maybe you make Canelo come down and he's, you know, and I, I don't know why Canelo would have interest in coming down unless he can't find another giant fight. And uh, I just don't, I just don't think Canelo would feel comfortable body wise to go down to even 160. I think he's now, his body is now, we are fully locked in at 168. Yeah. Maybe we can get away with 175, but Going back down to 160 is might he's be just, a little. He's much. just so short at 175. He he is he is, and I mean the physical shortcomings it was in full display against Dimitri Bivol. I mean against Kovalev, Kovalev was old. He was coming uh, on the equivalent of a pitcher's three day rest, uh, where. He almost got stunned by Anthony Yard in Russia. Oh yeah, and, and then two, and then you're expecting, oh, you almost lost to Anthony Yard on a on a, on a freak miracle, and then you're expected to fight Canelo two months later. Like that's really, uh, I mean, Canelo just got him at the perfect time. But I mean, you talk about the guys at 175, Bivol's the uh, top of the chain, and then Arthur Baderbiev, he's just an absolute monster power wise that it just uh, that also doesn't really make sense for canelo plus it, it plus it also involved canelo doing something with top rank and so i don't think that's happening anytime soon so let's say they do benavidez and canelo wants to fight twice in 2024 mm-hmm. um you mentioned the reason why uh tim sue might might not get a, a fight w- with with charlo but body wise how would how would he be coming up? Tim Su against Canelo? Yeah. Hmm. 
that's an interesting fight, but I think ultimately, I, to be honest, I think Canelo stops Tim Su because I think for as sharp of a offensive fighter and explosive uh, Tim Su is, Tim Su still has a couple of defensive shortcomings where he has lapses in judgment every so often where a guy like Canelo is not going to forgive. Uh, uh, it's, it's not going to forgive. And the thing with, with, with Tim Su is Tim Su is a guy who can who starts off so explosively and can keep at it because he just overwhelms opponents with a barrage of shots and it allows him to stay in rhythm. And the thing is, Canelo is a guy who can use his footwork to kind of make Tim Su uncomfortable. And to be honest, I don't think Tim Su, I think Tim Su will lose a little bit of the speed that makes him such a dangerous fighter at 154 pounds. So let's talk about some of the bigger fights for the rest of the calendar year here. Uh, a, a, a fight that is big just because it's MMA versus boxing. Uh, Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou fight uh, 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 in less than a month in, in Saudi Arabia. Now, the reason why that fight is is kind of uh, not that people are taking it more seriously than than they were, but we have the news that Tyson Fury and uh, Alexander Usek are possibly going to fight. Now, I know that you have your own questions about whether or not that is that is a done deal. But the idea that you would set up a fight for late January, or I'm sorry, late December, early January, and he's supposed to fight in Ganu in, uh, in late October kind of tells you how seriously Fury thinks that uh, this fight with Ngannou should be taken. But what are your thoughts about the Usek fight? Can they get it done? Uh, what stops it from getting from getting done? And and you know uh, why would they make this announcement or at least try and and get people to think that this thing is coming if if there's uh, still some doubt? Yeah, and honestly, if any doubts that I personally have, that's really more the nor- the uh, uh, cynic. Yeah, yeah, the cynic in me, because just because we've we've seen big fights be quote-unquote a done deal and then later on it falls apart because oh wait well there was this one thing and that snowball into a you know bigger thing and i at this point i mean it's it's the date the date is literally the only thing that's left um now well and, and the broadcasting details uh, of that fight i would imagine espn would probably be the uh u.s broadcaster for that fight and as far as the the date, that's an it. I honestly, at this point, I think it's really up to how does Fury feel after the Ngannou fight. I mean, if I mean if Ngannou, I mean, like, let me put it to you this way: it doesn't end up being like a like the safest uh, worked shoot boxing fight ever <laughs> that i think it's closer to january but if it ends up being potentially chaotic if it's a, this ends up being rocky versus thunder lips in rocky three <laughs> then i think tyson will probably want maybe a week or two off just to kind of calm calm down a little bit and wait maybe till till early january uh but overall you know I mean, if, if this fight was happening, it was all because it was going to be the Saudis because Saudi Arabia signed 
Usyk to a promotion co-promotional deal. Like the Saudi Arabia kind of basically the prince made its own promotional boxing company. Uh, <laughs> don't ask me how many Ali Act uh, <laughs> uh, rules were violations <laughs> were there, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, look the the money that is rolling in from the Saudis. I mean, it was too big to pass up, and you know. I think it's an I think it's an incredible fight, and I do think that you can honestly make an argument for both of these guys. I think right right now, I, I think maybe I would say Fury would probably win if you ask me right the second. I mean, you do kind of have to throw a little bit of doubt uh, Usyk's way, especially with uh, the Daniel Dubois fight that happened not too long ago. So, but I mean, look, it's a massive fight. We've been clamoring for an undisputed heavyweight champion for how many years at, at this point? Uh, we I wish it was Wilder versus Joshua when that iron iron yeah. was hot, but it, that that was culturally so much bigger than this is going to be. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and listen, and you and I have seen uh, major events in Saudi Arabia. They it just doesn't translate super well to no. it being a major mainstream event at like five, four, four PM Eastern, one PM uh, Pacific on a Saturday. Yeah. Not in Vegas. You don't have the craziness of Vegas and just the the big crowds and and such as it, well. By the way, and if you do this like first week of Jan- like first or second week of January. You might be potentially going up against major college football bowls, so and and NFL playoffs, if and, uh, d- depending on when you do it too. Yeah, so I mean, there's going to be some major competition rolling your way, and and also it's most of America is not really going to care as much as Wilder versus Joshua because I mean, Usyk's hardly fought in the U.S. and Fury. While he may, while uh, there were a, a ton of pay per view buys for the trilogy against Wilder, he hasn't really done anything of note since then. I mean, what, what do you really have to show for uh, since that Wilder trilogy? Beating up old man Derek Ch- Chisora, <laughs> knocking out the, the corpse of Delian White? Yeah. It's not really, that's not really setting the world on fire. No, no, not at all. Uh, a couple of the other fights that are on the radar. It looks like I, I don't. I don't know what. Are, what are the broadcasting rights for Fury and Ngannou? Like, I, I don't. Is it a pay per view? Like, what is the deal with that fight? So it's a uh, ESPN Plus pay per view. Okay, got I'm, it. If uh, if what I'm remembering is correct. So November sixteenth, we have Shakur Stevenson against Edwin De Los Santos. Uh, we have uh, Regis Progres against Devin Haney. Uh, on December 9th in San Francisco. I am going to try to be there. I, I want to see if I can get a credential for that fight. San Francisco is going to be a hard building to draw, I think, uh, the Chase Center. I went to an AEW show earlier this year, and you know, they, they maybe had it about, I would say, 70% full. Um, I know when WWE runs out here, I actually they have a house show there tonight they're like half or less San Francisco is just an interesting place for a show like this. And I know, you know, Devin's Bay area guy, San Francisco's building is the newest building. I think they're going to 
have a hard time filling that place up, especially with boxing ticket prices, uh, you know, being being fairly high. So, but I'm still excited. I, I you know, I, I rarely ever get to see big time boxing in the Bay Area. I'm trying to remember. Uh, I, I, Andre Ward fought in Oakland during the um, during the tournament, uh, the the Showtime tournament years and years ago. I, I think I, he, I, I think his last fight in the Bay Area, I, I think it was in Oakland. I think it was uh, Sullivan Barrera a few years ago. I think that was his his first or second fight after uh, making the jump to 175, if I remember he, correctly. I was also in San Jose, and this is when Golden Boy was uh doing stuff with uh our, our boy Victor Ortiz um and who else was that who 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 else was uh, on that show I'm trying I can't even remember the guys but uh there were there were three kind of like you know s- semi main eventers on pay-per-view fights but they were all golden boy guys and that was a lot of fun I I, I, had, I had a lot of fun there watching that that show but we don't get to see it so I'm I'm excited you know even though I think it's going to be a hard draw. I'm still going to try and be there and, and cover it for Fight Game Media. That'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be a really, really good fight. But it's a shame that it's going to be on the zone pay per view because, dude, <laughs> that is that that is that that is asking for a death wish uh, as for financial. Yeah. I mean, I get that both guys are get, are commanding a really high payday, and I think theoretically, pay per view is the only way to go. But I mean, you're really not setting yourself up for a lot of success, uh, as far as the pay per view business is concerned. But uh, but it's still going to be a really good fight. I I am looking forward to that. Anything else you're looking forward to the end of this year? I'm trying to look. I mean, I I, I spoke about Tim Sue Brian Mendoza so many times. Uh, it's October 14 on Showtime TV for the, for uh, if I did not mention it. Soon. Yeah, that's uh, I'm I'm gonna try. It's you know the problem with this stuff is. There's so much wrestling on TV oh, that I have to yeah. pay attention to that it's and you know so hopefully uh, I'll, I'll be able to check. I, I, I'm pretty sure I'll be able to at least watch it, you know, at some point. But it's just, I, gosh, this wrestling I mean, is killing me. I mean, how I mean, Wrestle Dream is it was what 16 hours from from the time that we are recording this <laughs> live, and I mean, I just saw the updated card. Oh my god, Wrestle Dream is going to be a seven hour show. The 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 zero hour is not an hour it's like a zero hour and a half <laughs> i'm like that's a, like the match that they have announced that's almost a full dynamite I know. full of matches there um you mentioned shakur steve's edwin del santos uh homemade event uh emmanuel navarrete versus hobson conceisau i mean i think that'll be a a good good uh, a good fight uh one fight at the start of sort of start of the year uh uh, in January 2024, Archer Battle better be efforts to Calum Smith. Uh, I think that's actually going to be a really, really good fight. Uh, better BF is still a very dangerous fighter who you can sort of start to see a little bit of crack, uh, cracks in his sheet in that armor a little bit. Calum Smith is on a tear, I think, momentum wise, the way he's looked since the Canelo loss. I, I thought Callum Smith was just done after getting trounced by uh, Canelo yeah. Alvarez. He has been, he has recovered about as well as any fighter I've ever seen in recent memory uh, coming off a of Canelo loss. And that's, I think that's going to be a potentially really, really good fight. And after that, that's not a major, major fight. There's a lot of fights where like the, 
the I, I guess the degenerate boxing fan like myself is uh uh is going to be a uh excited uh about i mean there's a lot of fights that i'm that i will i'm really excited about but not so much that the casual audience i mean i don't think right. anyone wants to hear me gush about a jinjiro shigeoka fight in osaka <laughs> in in about a week which i'm, I'm excited about because i've been a huge fan of this this 105 foot guy uh but yeah no this is uh you're kind of winding down a little bit. I mean, this is all the last major boxer versus boxer pay-per-view uh, of the year, assuming Usyk versus Fury takes place in 2024. But overall, I mean, we're getting some some good fights, but nothing near the level of what we just witnessed uh, this uh, tonight. Yes, uh, I, uh, agreed. Okay, um, I just want to make a couple mentions here. Uh, Sunday morning, the Power Bombshells are streaming live here, 10 p.m., uh, 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern. They are doing the pre-show to Russell Dream. Actually, they're so early, they call it the pre-pre-show. And then after the Russell Dream pay-per-view is done... Uh, the Boom, Kevin Ely and James B. McDaniel will go live. I believe Paul Fontaine from the Dynamite Show will be with them. So we still have a couple of more uh, live streams this weekend. And yeah, this was a lot of fun. I I, I promised that I was going to talk more boxing. And, and uh, we, do, we still have our MMA show, but we no longer have a boxing show in our weekly pay-per-view. So it's kind of up to me to find opportunities to talk. So Carlos is always um, Carlos and Robert are my two favorite guys to talk boxing with like (laughs) point blank. So they're my guys. And whenever Carlos is available and wants to do this, I'm always open. Uh, But Carlos plug your, your Twitch stuff. I don't know uh, how how much you were able to do while you were sick, but uh, I know you were trying to grow that channel the last time that we chatted. Yeah. uh, I'm still, uh, Still kind of recovering a little bit. So for those of you don't know, I had COVID last month and I'm still dealing with a post-COVID cough that I will admit, I to, uh, doing the show, I was worried that I was going to be coughing about 20 times more than I did. I think I only <laughs> coughed twice tonight. So uh, that, is, uh, that is a massive win for me already. Um, but yeah, so I've been doing a lot more stuff on, on Twitch, you know, doing more video game stuff. Uh, I was, uh, you could, so you can follow me at Toronite, that's T-O-R-O-N-I-T-E. Right now I'm doing stuff like speed runs of old Pokemon games. I, I wanted to sort of celebrate tonight and do like a full-on playthrough of uh, the original Punch-Out. Oh, wow. Uh, I I just couldn't find the, uh, I just wasn't able to get it going, but uh i do hope to do that because that that was a promise i made to myself that was going to stream myself playing uh the entirety of punch out in one go and i i will do that are we talking mike tyson's punch out are we talking the version when they took mike tyson out of the game the version that they took him out of the game because i I actually don't know if my if the nintendo switch online has punch out as it probably doesn't because no, no, well i don't know if i don't remember if i had any version of punch up but i do have the nes classic which is like this little portable nintendo entertainment system that Uh comes preloaded with like 20 games and one of them was punch out and that 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 was the version with no 
Mike Tyson's. It was the first, so it was Mr. Dream. Mr. Dream. Yeah. Um, and so I need to sort of get back on that train and, and uh, well, if you could, that was an abundant code. That's my cat uh, scolding me to go to back <laughs> over. But um, the farthest I went to uh, the last time I tried doing that was Don Flamingo. Oh, really? He was, I, I just couldn't beat it. I just couldn't solve him. You, yeah, it's because he, he doesn't throw his punch. He, he winds up and stops, and then he throws his punch. And so you have to time it correctly from, from what I remember. So Mike Tyson's punch out, <laughs> this kind of, will we'll show my age a little bit, unfortunately. <laughs> um, if I had a controller in my hand and I could listen for the beeps, I think I could still put in the code to or to skip all of the fighters <laughs> to get to Mike Tyson, just because it's just kind of one of those. It's like the Contra code that's just in your right. in, in your memory. Um, I could beat Mike Tyson before I could beat Super Macho Man. So I actually beat Tyson before I could go through the game all in one swoop like you're trying to do. Eventually, I did. I was able to do that like a couple of times, but it is not easy because if it's not uh, you getting hit with an uppercut by Bald Bull, uh, mm-hmm. you could take that that uh, wind-up or that that punch that Super Macho Man throws that's hard to time. And then Tyson's got those crazy fast uppercuts, so it's it's there. There's a good challenge factor. I mean, in a sense, Punch Out is just a puzzle game. It's just a right. memorizing, uh, you know, moves and 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 buttons and timing it. But still, man, that there there was very little, ex- you know, there was very little more exciting in my video game career as a young, you know, eleven or twelve year old to where I was just like, wait. I can beat Mike Tyson. I, I, I can actually just beat the, the end game. Like, this is really cool. So, yeah, I, I played so much. Mike the, Tyson's punch out. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but there are people who uh, speed run the, the game doing, and they beat the game in one go blindfolded. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, sh- it's all patterns, and if you can hear the sounds, I totally get it. Yeah, no, it's it's unreal just how good some of these people can get just playing Punch-Out. All right. Thank you to Carlos for hanging out with us after the last giant fight uh, uh, of the year here, uh, and we'll uh, we'll check back in with Carlos if there's another big fight coming up. Hell, if... if Hopefully, hopefully one that's competitive. If Fury and Usyk happens, you know, I think that will be a perfect, a perfect opportunity to get back here. Yeah. So, uh, thanks, thank you, Carlos, for jumping on. For Carlos, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out. <laughs> After the holidays, a little cash goes a long way. The Chime checking account has tons of benefits to help, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and thousands of fee-free ATMs. You can even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. Sign up for Chime today at chime.com goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer.